0: Into the show, it is Daniel Orban coming to you live from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. early wake up call out west and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday, the last day of April 2020. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. Hope you're having a great morning. So, um, everyone's still trying to figure out, you know, what, what is, what is, what is the path forward? Where are we going? Uh, what leagues are going to try to get restarted? We've already seen some leagues, uh, with cancellations in Europe. Uh, the Netherlands have, have canceled the remaining, uh, of their season. Uh, France, uh, France. France is looking at uh, uh, not having a return until at least September um, and and just you know stopping the season short uh, in uh, in France. Um, you have the Bundesliga that's trying to work their way back in. Uh, lower levels of the English pyramid have announced that uh, that their seasons are, are done. They, they will not finish. And the Premier League are trying to uh, figure out plans to get back into training and back on the field sooner rather than later. Um, as, a, as a Liverpool supporter in the Premier League, I would love to see them find a way to finish out the season, even if it's behind closed doors um just to um you know just to, to finish it off and, and and get the title done. I mean it's it's all but already over, but it would just be it would be nice to officially have it done. Uh I think it would be an absolute disservice to that team to not finish out the season and be crowned champions. Uh this is you're not talking about, you know, being at a point in the season where where you're three points up or six points up or even ten points up, you've got a big margin, a big gap. It's clear everyone has known for a while that Liverpool um, we're going to win the league, and you know I would I would like to see that finish out just so that officially um, that that can happen. So. Um, you know, one, one of the other aspects of all of this, we we've talked about how the Euro 2020s are going to take place in 2021 and how the, the, you know, some of the UEFA calendars and other confederation calendars are all kind of moving and shifting to work around, um, you know, the, 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 uh, coronavirus and the effects, uh, you know, that they're trying to sort through. In terms of another aspect of disruption is we're we're quickly approaching in in the next thirty ish days, a little over thirty days away, um, the biggest shopping season shopping window of the year, and that is the summer transfer window it's it's large um, you start seeing things materialize in June and teams start their training in July and then your seasons start again in August and in most transfer windows in this in the summer times are about three months long roughly um, two to three months long that's that's a a sizable time of of doing business. Now, you know, if you're in a, in a contract that's about to expire and you're going to sign on a free, excuse me, a free, usually that contract runs to the end of June. And then that's when your new contract would start in July, but you already kind of know where you're going and what you're doing. So, you know, in terms of like official signings, you know, you could. go back and forth on well technically the windows whatever, but the way uh clubs utilize this time, it's it's usually about, you know, two, two and a half, three month window where a lot of business is done, players being transferred back and forth. Now this is this is an area when we talk about American soccer that is so severely lacking. Major League Soccer are not active participants. The USL are not active participants. And we have, we have this giant player pool that is being underdeveloped, underleveraged, underresourced. And we are not participating uh, in this biggest uh, shopping season of the year in terms of the, the transfers of players. Um, in American sports, we're used to seeing players go back and forth uh, in exchange for other players that, that actually rarely happens in football and soccer. Uh, it's usually players going back and forth for money. So we buy the contract and now we have your contract and usually we're going to pay you more. We're going to kind of rip up your, your personal, uh, playing contract. We're going to add on some additional dollars, maybe add on some years, maybe some option years, um, but uh, it's usually players moving in exchange for money, not necessarily players. Although that has happened before, uh, that players uh, have been traded and uh, and signed in exchange for other players or players and money, etc. When we look at this this coming summer's transfer market, it's it is completely up in the air. You know what what kind of money are clubs going to have to throw around? What uh when when do the seasons officially end? If they're still waiting and trying to finish, we've already seen that some leagues are wanting to wait and wait and wait and try to get it done, even if that pushes towards the fall and and pushes next season uh, start back a little bit. So we don't know exactly when the window' is going to be in. So that's one area of the unknown or the uncertainty that we just we don't know yet. Secondly, we, we don't know what the budgets are going to be. That There are going to be effects on these clubs, how much they're able to spend, how much they're willing to spend uh, during this pandemic. What are they going to do? Is, is business going to get done? I think so. Is it going to be to the level that we have seen in, in the last few years? I don't think so. I think it will be lower. I think dollar figures will be lower. Uh, and I think some uh, teams are going to look to utilize a loan with a with an option to purchase, uh, which has been something that's kind of been uh, utilized more recently. I think that's going to be something we are going to see in the summertime, looking at the summer transfer window, I think you're going to see more clubs look to to do deals where they basically, it, it's a mechanism that can can basically let them do two things. One, they can kind of, it's like a free trial on a player. It's not a free trial, you know, uh, but if I don't like it after 30 days, I can take it back or whatever. It's not like that, but it is a, a little bit lower risk in that, I don't have to pay you everything up front. I don't have to commit to pay you everything. I can say, I'm going to, I'm going to pay a loan fee. Maybe it's $8 million. Maybe it's $10 million, but I'm not going to pay you a hundred. I'm not going to pay you 150. I'm going to pay you $10 million for a loan for one year. We're going to pay his contract and we're going to pay you this loan fee. And then we have an option to buy after the end of the next season. So in the summer of 2021, if we don't like what we see, if we don't like the player, then obviously that gives us the ability to return the player back to their club. This is actually the situation that Philippe Coutinho, uh, Philippe Coutinho is in at the moment, right? He leaves Liverpool for Barcelona, which, um, you know, Liverpool's my favorite club in the Premier League, but Barcelona is my favorite club uh, above all and of all time. I knew he was going to struggle. I knew that was going to be a, a problem for him. I just never felt like um, he was going to um, succeed. Um, just the way he likes to play, and he just doesn't seem to like to adjust. It's like, nope, this is who I am. And. And you build around that. And if you build around it, then you can, you know, some good things can happen. If you don't build around it, he just doesn't seem to adjust to anything else. And with the the, the cast of characters at Barcelona, including the, the greatest of all time, Leo Messi, everybody knew ahead of time that he was not going to be in a situation uh, where he was going to be the top dog. And so... Uh, Barcelona couldn't sell him they ended up doing a loan deal with Bayern Munich that blew up in their face because they got him in and they realized yeah um we're not interested either so now they're gonna they're gonna have to try to find a home for him and you know I I I do think he's one that they could sell but they're probably going to sell and eat money on um but I think teams are going to try to to look at a loan move the way that That Bayern Munich did. I don't know that Barcelona is going to want to do that again. But that is an example of what we were. I think we're going to see more of this summer uh, as we look into you know how clubs react during this pandemic. Speaking of reacting, uh, while you're at home and you're trying to figure out what to do, uh, there's never been a better time than to do this, and that is to go to ducticbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com and do a little shopping, uh, a little little online retail therapy. Never hurt anyone. And uh, if you if you, if you you take some time and go to ducticbrand.com and check out some of the journals, uh, apparel, etc., I think you're going to find uh, some really, really cool things. And when you drop all that in your cart, right before you go to check out, Drop in the promo code DWSHOW, all one word, DWSHOW. You'll get 10% off of your order and um, and, and get those things delivered right to your front door um, at a 10% discount. So um, there you go. DW DWSHOW, 10% off. We'll be right back after this. into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday, April the 30th. Um, it's a it's a crazy world we're we're living in. We're all dealing with different realities. We're all de- dealing with different things. And uh, we were we're happy to bring on someone that that I met a few years ago when uh, Eric Winalda was running for president and uh, and get his thoughts on um, you know the the realities and and before we do, uh, Ron Ron Patel is the president of Rio Grande Valley Toros. Ron, welcome to the show. How are you this morning?
1: Good morning. I'm uh, I'm a little humid, acclimating to the South Texas weather, but I'm, I'm having a good time.
0: Well, um, as as someone who lives close to the Gulf of Mexico, um, there there is. Uh, there's humidity and then there's gulf humidity and uh <laughs> i'm sure you're getting uh, uh more and more acclimated uh, to this this uh moisture in the air compared to New Mexico which is where you and i met uh, yeah. you know back in uh 2017 18 era, uh, era when uh, eric was running for president um before we, we get into all of that and how we met, I, I, I want to uh, get a little bit of kind of your background. Where did you grow up and, and where did your, your connection to the game of football, the game of soccer, really begin for you?
1: Yeah, it came right out of the womb, really. Uh, I was born in Liverpool, England, about a mile from Anfield, uh, the, uh, the greatest place on earth as far as I'm concerned. I've uh, been a lifelong red, so this this year this this gap in, in uh, humanity <laughs> with the Premier League and everything has been the biggest weight ever, of course, with what's going on. But obviously, there's more important things to think about. But yeah, I grew up in England, moved around a lot, uh, moved moved to North America when I was nine years old, uh, moved to Toronto, Canada. My dad would get uh, jobs that would last a couple years, and then we'd move to the next one, and then we settled a little bit in Phoenix. I went to high school and uh, ended up going to Arizona State University. And then uh, from there, I got a job a few years later in Albuquerque, um, and that's where I was for the last 16 years up until a few months ago. So Phoenix, dry heat, super hot. Albuquerque, reasonably hot, dry heat to South Texas, where I feel like, wow, there's I can't, I can't believe what it's going to feel like in June, July, August with the heat and the humidity down here.
0: Just get ready. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it is growing. Growing up in an area where there's humidity, um, you feel like you you get up in the mornings. Like I, I remember this feeling going to high school, uh, especially. I don't know why those years stood out to me, but I would remember like getting up, taking a shower, getting dressed, getting ready to go to school. And the moment I walk out the door, I felt like I just took another shower. I mean, it just like yeah. would hit you in the face, and um, it is it is different. I look, I on the humidity uh, piece. When I was um, in in college, I did a a road trip. Um, I was I was actually um, had just finished college and, and uh, was playing. Uh, there was a, an artist. Um, that was, was trying to, you know, make it there out of Nashville. And, um, I actually played in the band and we, we went on tour and, and the tour was like, you know, started in like the Virginia area and went like up through the Midwest. And once we got through the Midwest, we got out into like the likes of, you know, South Dakota and Wyoming and, 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 and and all out that way. And, there was just very little or no humidity and uh, you know, the locals would complain about it being hot and I'm sitting there looking at them like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, this is fantastic. Like, are you serious? I could take another 20 degrees of this. Like um, you know, because what, what people don't realize is that, you know, it could be, you know, 80 degrees in a, in a humid climate and it feels like a hundred when it's a hundred, you feel like you're just drowning. Um, and, and, and yet in the winter, you know, New York could be 20 degrees and I've been in New York when it's been in the twenties and the wind's blowing and it's really cold. But you come into the south and it's like 35, 40 degrees, and it's so cold because that moisture in the air just makes it. it it's like it's like a thick cold blanket on, on top of you. So, it, um, you know, it, it, it's different, and it does take time to adjust. And um, you know, look, you're 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 in for a, a treat this summer, and you're going to be like. I'm gonna to have to install showers everywhere I go. Like, can I find a way to put a shower here? Can I? <laughs> you know,
1: my, my first my first week on the job, I said, "All right," um, or maybe it was my second week because the players had just reported reported to, to to work, and I said, "You know what? I gotta, I gotta. It's my first time being president of a pro club, and but I gotta really understand every aspect of the organization." So I called Coach Jerson and and said, "Hey, you've got a new trialist coming in for for training today." And I went and trained with the guys <laughs> and I made it about, I mean, I'm not exactly in the best of shape. I'm not tremendously out of shape, but, but, uh, I made it about 75% through the training session and then that humidity just caught up with me. And it in February, of course. So, um, it caught up with me and, and I took a little break before the end and then played in the soccer tennis tournament. It was one of these like, low key practices where they just goofed around a little bit at the end. And I actually made it to the semifinals of the soccer tennis tournament. Um, with uh, with our center back and our right back twice, so that's like my my little claim to fame down here so far. As semifinalists in the soccer tennis tournament two times in a row. So,
0: <laughs> well, how much of how much of that was on sporting merit and how much of that was on hey, there, there's the boss. We gotta we gotta we gotta make him feel good.
1: Uh, it depends who you're asking. If you're <laughs> asking me, I'd say it's 100% sporting merit. Daniel, come on. <laughs>
0: I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Oh man! So uh, I want to go back to to that time when we when we first met uh, in New yeah. Mexico. You were living in New Mexico, and this was this was pre New Mexico United. Uh, matter of fact, when you and I first met, we, you were you were talking through the idea of New Mexico United and the idea of of you know something bigger for New Mexico. But you were running a different club at the time. Tell us a little bit about that club and, and, and the origin story of that, uh, before we get into the kind of New Mexico United story.
1: Yeah. The club you're referring to was, uh, was Albuquerque soul FC, uh, of the PDL now known as USL league two. And, uh, it was my education in the soccer world. It was like another college degree. So I had been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I, I owned a food delivery business uh, that's become obviously almost an essential business with the current times where you order from multiple restaurants. Um, we ended up selling that later on, but I owned that business. So I had the business acumen, I just had, you ne- know, and I had the passion for the game. I just never had the experience in working in, in sports. So I said, well, what, why not just jump into the deep end? Um, a, a good friend of mine and, and then became a business partner from California who had an interest in soccer and an interest in the New Mexico market. And then uh, a local guy who I'd become good friends with named Larry Espinosa goes by Lencho. Um, and he had played uh, for the New Mexico Chili's back in the day. Um, he got involved too. The Chili's were part of uh, a, a kind of a dynasty team for New Mexico purposes. They used to draw 4,000 or 5,000 fans a game in the late 80s and early 90s. And they were a fixture in New Mexico. Went away, I think, in about 93, 94 so there hadn't been. There had been some other semi-pro teams that had come and gone. There was one called the Asylum um, that uh, did pretty well. That had a a, a well-known uh, figure in this in, in some of the the soccer world named Pat Grange. And if you've heard of him, unfortunately, died of ALS at age 28. But his story has been told on uh, ESPN and, and a couple of other outlets. So we were the first kind of semi-pro soccer team for a number of years. And we, we had a go at it. You know, we, uh, we did, I think we did pretty well. We were playing at a high school, Daniel, on the, in Albuquerque, like 80% of the population lives on the east side of town and 20% live on the west. So ideally, you'd want to be on the east side of town. We couldn't find a facility that had lights and bleachers um, anywhere, really. there's not a we're, we're fa- We were facility challenged in New Mexico. And so I found this school called St. Pius High School, Catholic High School, um great people i'll never forget uh dave sullivan who's the the guy that really helped us get started they would uh, basically let us use their beautiful facilities for training and for the game day but it was on the west side of town so we already had that working against us because in albuquerque everyone east will, will won't want to go west west siders love going east but east siders don't like going west and so we're already on the wrong side of town and we didn't have any light and we had limited bleachers so we would bring in it was albuquerque in the summer so we couldn't sell tickets if we were going to play games in the afternoon and 100 degrees in June. So uh, what we did is we brought in these construction lo- light towers. And they were like, you know, the 30-foot light towers you rent out at a construction site or at a parking lot. So we'd rent 10 of those. I remember one game we even tested out to see if we get better light. There's a, there's a movie, a thriving movie industry in Albuquerque. And I remember bringing in one of these huge movie spotlights. And it was a bunch of hippie film guys that, like, sat at the center field on the opposite side of the fans. And just launch this, like slowly launched this huge light. There was a spotlight that came onto the whole field. That was, ended up being too expensive. We couldn't do that long term, but I mean, we had to make ends meet, right? We had to, we, we've, I felt like it was a mission that we had to put a product on the field and give Albuquerque a team to be proud of. And we, we pulled out all the stops and, and like most teams, we lost a ton of money that first year. Um, thank God for, for Aaron Hegman, who was the, the owner that kept it going um, from California um, and then we started to stabilize year two, year three, year four. I think that's when I met you, was year four. Um, and, and the soul became, became a recognizable name in the town. And there was still a ton of room for growth. And the goal was always to go pro. But at the time, we just didn't have the resources to do so. And it ended up going a different way. But I'm really proud of what we built. Uh, you know, Larry Lencho Espinoza deserves a ton of credit, um, Aaron, for keeping the team going. And, you know, for me, it was a passion project. I was still running my business most of the time. Um, And I was helping out where I could, but there's so many little things you don't think about when you haven't um, ran a team before all these little expenses that came up. So such an education, a proud, proud period of my life, running that franchise for five years, learning the ropes, and then eventually it prepared me for for going into the usl world in the, in the usl championship world
0: so uh before we get to that i just a couple of questions because i look i when i look at the american soccer ecosystem and the landscape the 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 hustle the grit the the drive the ingenuity um is is lacking in a lot of areas and and yet your story so f- you know, talking about the soul is, is filled with ingenuity. You know, you not able to find uh, facilities, the part of town that you, that you preferred and then not having lights and trying to figure out how to work around that with, you know, bringing in temporary lights. So one question I would have for you on, on that is why don't stadiums, why are there not more stadiums in New Mexico and especially Albuquerque and, and why in, in the stadiums that, that are there, how many of them do lack uh, resources like lighting uh, to be able to play uh, sporting events at night?
1: Yeah, there's, there's not a ton of stadiums. Like as we say in England, full stop, there's not a lot of stadium. The ones that are there are mainly football stadiums. So the high school's there all share a couple of faci- three facilities, actually. And every single one of them is too narrow to play soccer on. Uh, most of them are turf, which obviously, again, we had a business to run, but we, you know, we cared about, we're, we're purists, right? We cared about the game and we felt like it should be played on grass and not on turf. We wanted to put a quality product out there for the fans of Albuquerque that deserved it. So we were we were really, really dedicated to finding a, a facility that had grass um, what, the only one that could have happened was the UNS soccer stadium and the administration at the time at the University of New Mexico just didn't want didn't to entertain it. And it took me three and a half years until um, I finally got a meeting with them. And again, you talk about the kind of the persistence and this was Lencho and myself just consistently calling them saying, hey, we've got a product that the community wants. You've got a facility. We're not asking for it for free. We want to pay something for it. Tell us what we can pay you. And there was the, you know, there was the red tape of the university. The new administration is coming after that. That's been fantastic since uh, Eddie Nunez came in as athletic director. He came from LSU. Um, And then uh, it just, it it changed a lot then. So we were able to finally get to play at UNM in our fourth year. They gave us two games. That was their compromise. (laughs) And then they gave us three games the next year, which was my final year with with the soul. Um, But the, the thing was, there really wasn't many options and so I'd been in business before. I'd owned small businesses and I said, you know, I, I'd face bigger challenges. So, all right, we don't have a place to play. Let's let's figure out a place to play. And we, we made it work.
0: So uh, lo- looking at uh, what came next when, when you and I met, this was kind of in, you were in the middle of these kind of conversations about. You know, what might come uh, afterwards uh, in terms of a professional um, club coming to New Mexico. Now we obviously know as New Mexico United has made all kind of waves since they've they've come into the the USL championship Um, might be um, the best club in America in terms of you know the media and the marketing and and like you know all the jersey reveals and stuff i mean just been incredible content that's come out of out of the club walk us through that story like where did those conversations begin and 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 and, and really what was what was the big idea in terms of launching a professional club at the USL Championship level and bringing that club and, and starting that club uh, there in New Mexico?
2: Yeah, good, good questions. And again, being a part of that startup as well was just pretty, pretty much the proudest moment of my life, um, just to be around so, so, many, so many talented people. So the story of how it started was, you know, I was still running the soul, and, and I was trying to figure out a way how we could go pro. Um, the USL championship franchise fees were increasing, it seemed like, every six months. So the price of admission or the barrier of entry, as you could say, was getting higher and higher. So as that, that happened, I realized we weren't going to be able to do it ourselves with our current ownership group. So how are we going to find this? So I was introduced to this guy It was at a coffee shop. It was from a mutual friend and Lencho and I went and met with him and told him the story of the soul and then told him what, what we felt a, a pro club could do. Um, and he, he got interested and, and uh, we, we were told that he, He qualified to be a a primary investor of a USL championship club. As you know, there's different requirements for different levels of soccer. Um, And his name is Peter Trevisani. And um, so Peter and I stayed in touch and like I did with UNM and like I did with the, uh, with the soccer stadium uh, trying to find a facility. You know, I called Peter a lot. I probably bugged the hell out of him for a while. Yeah. He wasn't a soccer guy. He was an American football guy. He actually played linebacker at Boston college and, uh, so I kept bugging him and he was, he was ready to go almost. And then, um, he was, he was taking his family, uh, on this trip to, uh, to Spain. And so he said, you know, I gotta, I, I'm going on this trip. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to be reachable by phone. And I thought that was his way of telling me, look, I'm not interested anymore. So I told him, okay, uh, I said, I'm going to keep talking to people and trying to find investors. Cause this thing has to happen. I felt like it was this thing inside of me that this has to get done. We have to find a way to do this. So I kept uh, kept looking for people. Well, what I didn't realize is when he went on this trip, he was going to Barcelona, and he ended up being at the uh, the I think it was the Camp Nou where that game was against PSG, and they needed four goals in the second leg of the Champions League to uh, to get to the next to get to the next round. And I think Peter was at that game. Wow! And I think you know, being around the city of Barcelona, seeing flags everywhere. If you ever see some some images of New Mexico United online, you'll notice the flags everywhere. I think that kind of came from Barcelona. And, uh, and Peter came back from that trip and was like, I'm ready to go, man. Let's, let's do it. And so uh, we had, uh, I had another friend of mine, I introduced to Peter, and then we worked with an investment banker to get the remaining amount of the funding from from a few other we wanted it to be a New Mexican group. So it was five New Mexican businessmen that, that invested in the team. And these guys just they all they did it for all the right reasons. It wasn't. Because they thought, oh, look, there's soccer. Oh, look, here's a Hispanic market. We can make money out of this. It was, look, we all have businesses in this marketplace. We want to improve the quality of life. You know, we want to be able to attract talent to New Mexico. We want to be able to give New Mexico a product and a sport that, that it loves. And that's really how it started. And these guys had the right intentions. I'm still great friends with all of them. Um, even though they probably uh, a little mad at me for leaving, but uh, but no, and then you talk about the the marketing side. I mean, I can't take any credit for that whatsoever. the The, the team we had of people, uh, we have a creative director. Uh, we had a creative director named Josh Lane still with the club. Incredibly talented. Young. I mean, we got him right out of college. Um, we had uh, the photo team video team, Lucas Cash, he's the uh, the the title is the director of innovation, but that guy is the social voice of the team. Uh, and He's also the kind of the heartbeat of the team, just the talent. These are the people you don't see a lot if you're not involved with the team. You see the Santi Moores last year. You see the Devin Sandoval's, who are the star players. But but the star people in the front office, is, there's so many of them. I can't name them all. We've got Jessica Campbell, who's also a younger uh, PR person that, that is now the director of PR. So it's like Peter, Peter has this ability to take an idea um, and make it fantastic. And he demands excellence. I learned so much from him. Cause he never takes anything at face value. He says, all right, cool. That's a good idea, but how do we make it, you know, freaking great. And he challenges you and he pushes you and he's just really good at that. So I learned a ton from him. And as I've come down here to my post now, um, every decision I make, I think about it. I'm like, you know, how would Peter look at this? What's the right way to look at this? Cause he teaches you how to think about things a different way. Um, so I've been lucky to have some great mentors in my life. and and Peter's definitely one of them. And that's really how the team started. So
0: now launching the club and, and building the, the, the buzz and and attachment to the community, were you surprised at how, how big that got that fast in terms of the community support or, or was this more affirmation uh, and confirmation of what you had always felt and why you were, you know, uh, I, w- I guess I would use the word driven to to launch a professional club in Albuquerque. You
2: know, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't surprised. I was absolutely surprised. You know, I always knew there was something there. And deep down, I knew, OK, well, there's something that we can latch on to here and give this town, uh, you know, a professional sports team that's never really had. But I definitely would be lying if I said, yeah, I saw it playing out this way. And I think, you know, the real reason for that was, was, and I appreciate your kind words, but I mean, this wasn't me that did it all. There were so many people, um, and I, I hate naming names because then you forget people, but like we had a director of marketing for for so long named, named Liz Davis, who's incredibly talented. I learned so much from her too, but I think that the way that Peter gets the best out of people and you know i've i've been quoted before in an article years ago or about a year ago saying peter trevisani's a crazy guy and i mean that in the in the nicest way possible because he is because i've never seen anybody that has the ability to get the best out of people like he does so it's just been it was nuts to see how well it did i remember going to to you know i was i was on the revenue side so i was the chief revenue officer i was in charge of sponsorships and ticketing and i remember going to sponsors and saying here's what we're trying to do and I would show them examples of other USL teams, um, and the ones that had more fans in the stands than others are the ones that sell better, right? So I'd have to show them pictures of full stands. And we're going to do something like this, and we're going to average. We've done these numbers. Um, we had a great COO named Amanda Powers, who's now the, the president of FC Tucson. Um, and she'd done these analysis reports that were so well done. So We said, look, we're, gonna, we're projecting we're going to do six to 8,000 fans a game, and it's going to be awesome. And as I was saying that, I was kind of like crossing my fingers, hoping and praying, okay, I, I just hope I can deliver. Because you know, at the time, this was maybe six months before the season, we had 1,000, 1,500 season ticket holders, which we ended up with 3,300 that first year. But I, I just didn't know how the hell we were going to get to six to 8,000 fans a game. So here we are just kind of like crossing our fingers, hoping we can do it. And again, the Peter Trevisanis just got this way, right? He, we willed it to happen. Um, and we ended up averaging 12700 a game in our first year. And there's so many reasons that that, that that happened. Obviously, the sales team was really good. The marketing was really good. The coaching staff, really good. The culture um, that, that we were around. Every department was just you know, superb. So as I'm now trying to uh, build this club here, um, I definitely don't want to copy and paste what we did in New Mexico because every market's different and has its subtleties. But uh, I, I can learn from the experiences I've had there and try to duplicate the, the effort um, and see what's the best team I can make down here, front office, on the field, off the field. So so there you go.
0: So in, in, in terms of that decision, right, you're, 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 you've reached the, the pinnacle of what you had dreamed about for, for so long there in New Mexico, you're seeing it yeah. play out and then you get this opportunity at Rio Grande Valley. How did that come about? And, and how tough a decision was that uh, to to leave what, what had been a dream for so long for you to, to bring professional soccer into the, into Albuquerque and then to, you know, have to, to get faced with a decision of, okay, Maybe I've got to leave that behind and pursue uh, this opportunity with Rio Grande Valley.
2: Yeah, it was an impossibly hard decision. Um, just to even think about going to take the interview, I felt like a traitor. Um, but at the end of the day, like every, every person looks out for the best of them and their family. And I wasn't looking for a job. I wasn't out interviewing. I wasn't, I'd never been on a job board since we started the team. But uh, I was approached at, uh, at a conference, the USLA GM. Um, by uh, by a gentleman that said, hey, well, there's, there's this guy, his name's Alonzo Cantu, he's the owner of the RGB Toros, and he's looking for a club president. They don't really have one right now, and uh, they're in need of one. And I, I just kind of said, all right, well, I you know I was, I was uh, humbled. To, you, you, you talked to me, but I told him, I said, hey, no, I'm not looking for a job. I, I don't even know why I would even think about that. And then I went into one of the, the sessions at the conference and started thinking a little bit. I'm like, well, I'd be foolish not to like, look at it and see, see what the opportunities are, because I'm a true believer that you do have to keep pushing yourself. You know, there's never a a peak, a top of the mountain, right? You get to one, the peak of the mountain. And if you're done there, well, then why don't you just retire? Like you got to go find another mountain that's bigger. And so I, uh, I talked to the guy, talked to Alonzo and he told me a bit about his story and I was inspired. And so he offered to fly my family out there Um, out here sorry and so we we jumped on a plane my my wife and my stepdaughter and I again like I remember connecting through the the Dallas airport I was worried when was anyone gonna see me because I felt like I was letting New Mexico down (laughs) because I had been a part of this 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 team being built from from scratch and then now I was uh, you know venturing out to to see what else was out there so it was a really difficult decision but at the end of the day um, you know, Peter is the owner, but he's also the club president of New Mexico. So there was kind of a, a, a glass ceiling on, if, on how high I could, uh, could go there. And I'm sure one day there would have been the opportunity to run the club, but, but it was, and the thing was Peter's the right guy for that club. Like, yeah, I had a lot to do with getting it going, but at the end of the day, Peter is the perfect president for that club. And even if he had said, you know, something like, "Oh, you can be the president; I'll be the chairman," or whatever, he didn't say that. But I wouldn't have—I wouldn't have said yes because he's the right person for that club, and you've got to do what's right for people. And Peter's the right guy. So, looking at that, seeing the opportunity here, this is a whole incredible opportunity in itself. Um, I said, "Well, it's time to challenge myself." But the decision came down to, of course, my my wife. And I remember getting off, getting on the off the plane. We weren't quite sure where the Rio Grande Valley was. We looked around, we did the tour, we talked to the owner. I remember getting on the plane, going home. We sat down, she looked at me and she said, Ron, we have to do this. And as soon as she said that, I was like, all right, that's really the decision right there for her to use the term we, um, and saying that we have to do this. And she'd never lived outside of New Mexico. She'd lived there her whole life. So, uh, that was the decision made for me. And, And then came the hard part of, Going to tell all my family members, which which it would, we were like a big family in New Mexico. So telling all my coworkers who who were like family members, that then I'm leaving them. And uh, so obviously there were some tears, and and uh, they they threw some beautiful like goodbye parties for me. And again, I'll always remember my time there very fondly.
0: So uh, y- your wife looks at you and says, "We have to do this." Yep. What excited you about being able to take on this role? Uh, you know, in terms of, you know, that extra, as you mentioned, you know, always trying to to better yourself, um, look forward, always, you know, uh, you know, stay on your game and 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 and. I use the word aggressive, but it's really, it's just more of that kind of like you know I I want to keep. Self-improving like I want to improve myself. I want to I want to do more. I want to you know, and it's that kind of a achievers mentality when you were looking at this opportunity. What about the job post and the opportunity with this club? um, you know, what were some of those things that kind of popped in your head? Like we could, we could look at this, we could do this, you know, uh, learning obviously from your experience, but also looking at the, the, at the, at the, the specific opportunity, Rio Grande Valley, uh, what were the, some of those things that kind of caught your eye in the beginning that, that really kind of pushed you towards taking the job in the first place?
2: I think it's just the massive challenge. I mean, this is a big job here. Um, let me just clarify. So my, my job, Technically, it's not just soccer, right? So I oversee a company called Golden Grape Entertainment, um, which is owned by Alonzo Kentu and, and he's got a great story. He started um, as an immigrant um, picking grapes uh, in his young days and then got into the construction world. He's a safe, self-made guy, most successful businessman in the Rio Grande Valley now. For those that don't know, Rio Grande Valley it's an area of South Texas. It's about as far south as you can go in the United States takes about an hour to get from one the west side of it to the east side of it. On the far east side is South Padre Island, most famously known for Spring Break. And then um, where I live is McAllen, Texas. And then people say, well, what's the, the main city? What's the downtown? It really isn't one. It's a whole bunch of cities kind of grouped together. So Mr. Cantu has been um, the probably the most successful businessman from what I've seen in this whole area. Um, and so he had built the stadium. So we have our own stadium called H-E-B Park. It's pristine. It's gorgeous. He comes from the construction world, and he does high-end construction. So he took those practices into building his facilities. So the stadium is pristine. It was built in 2017 or 2016, and it still looks like it's brand new. Uh, He also built an arena. So um, I oversee the arena as well. We have live concerts. Uh, We've had Jennifer Lopez. We've had share just before the, the shutdown here. After the shutdown, we're going to have Pitbull, Ricky Martin, and Ricky Iglesias. So it's, it's a full, full-on full concert venue. Um, and then we have, uh, he, he owns the, the G League basketball team down here. So it's the G League affiliate for the Rockets. And then um, it's uh, the soccer team, of course, which is you know, my baby. and My, my uh, area of focus right now is to, to, to fill that soccer stadium for that. So a huge challenge in that I get to learn some other things in the sports world. Um, but I also get to do what I love, which is take a take a soccer team and and grow it and and I never knew, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't know you could work in sports. I didn't know there were jobs like this. So it's been an education for me going through the soul, going through New Mexico United, and now here I get a whole new different set of challenges. And also, you got a club that that was towards the bottom in in attendance and and sponsorship revenues and and. Uh, and I think the marketing statistics weren't up there, so I got here just wondering. Okay, well, maybe maybe there's maybe it's, maybe the people are the right ones. Maybe they're not. And shame on me for thinking that because what I found since I got here is there is no lack of hardworking people who care about this place, and they care about their community and they care about the company. I think they weren't just uh, because there wasn't someone in my post. Um, I think they weren't just given the, the right direction to go. And, and again, I still don't know what the right direction is, is. I learned the marketplace, but I'm here to learn. I've told them that I'm not here to copy and paste what we did in New Mexico and put that here. I'm here to to, to learn from the experiences I got there and then try to do it the Valley way. And what's the right way for the Valley? Because every market has its own unique characteristics. So I'm still in the learning phase. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my, my, my thought process is always a soccer team may financially be owned by by an owner and usually a successful business person in this case, Alonzo can too, but it belongs to the people and it belongs to the community. And if we can portray that the right way and give ownership to the community, um, I think we'll be successful.
0: In terms of the, the stadium capacity that, you know, having your own facility and, and having the ability to, to host your own matches, your own, your own venue. Uh, I, I don't think, that the soccer, you know, public at large in America really understand how important that is. What what is the stadium capacity of uh, your stadium, and 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 how have you seen, uh, you know, coming from New Mexico United into into this opportunity? How have you seen having your own facility make an impact on your operations and even your bottom line?
2: It's phenomenal because you know you you get to negotiate your own rent with uh, with uh, the, the the company down the hall, really. Uh, but you also get the operational um, agility to keep things at the stadium to have things set it permanently. I remember, you know, so Mexico United we played in a baseball stadium and still do. So um, beautiful stadium, great people to work with at the Albuquerque Isotopes, the Triple A franchise there. However, they they had a job to do which was baseball, and we were just tenants for the day. So we would come in at 8 a.m. and, and uh, our people would then go get all the signage that we had in the storage pod. I had to bring it down to the field, set all that up. We'd have to set up the stadium, set up the suites, set everything. And this was our sales staff doing that. So the sales team that I was leading, this was our job each time. And then we'd have interns that would help out and then marketing would help out too. And, and it was kind of an all hands on deck. And, and by the time we got to game time, you know, everybody was exhausted in ter- from the employee side. And of course, you gotta you've gotta get your smile on. But of course, as soon as the game kicks off, or in New Mexico's case, we had such a great pregame. So as soon as 7:17 hit for a 7:30 game, and we had our our, uh, our runners come out, we had this ceremony we did with Native American youth from all around the state. As soon as that started, you woke up, um, but you were exhausted, especially in the summertime from doing all that work all day. The difference here is, you know, we we have it already in place. The stadium set up how it's supposed to be. It's really just kind of pulling pulling the covers off the the leather chairs that are in the premium sections, and then we have because we have multiple facilities, we have an operations staff that helps us and a housekeeping staff that helps us with all these different facilities, so we're able to utilize that at a at a minimal expense because we share the expense with the other teams and the the concert business and everything, so we're able to um, get that help so the sales team can focus on being there interacting with their fans and their customers. Um, and getting to know people, meeting their friends that are thinking about becoming season ticket holders. And then, you know, there's a whole business side to sports too. Obviously I love the soccer side and being on the field. I still geek out every game day when I see the freshly cut grass, but at the end of the day, on the business side, you got a job to do and you got to interact with fans and see if they want to become season ticket holders. And and it's a relationship business so that salespeople get to have that relationship. Um, with the fans and, and they're not exhausted. And so it's a, it's a big difference. Um, you can focus more um, on the, the business of the team and you're not exhausted by the time it gets to kickoff because you have to set everything up. So that's how, what I see is the major benefit for my situation here versus there on stadium.
0: In, in terms of the, the match day, it's a, it's, it's a 16,000 seat capacity, which for, for the audience, you, you're, you're um, just, from an educational standpoint, the way U S soccer classifies, uh, you know, professional league standards, uh, they classify that stadiums at first division have to be a minimum of 15,000 seats, second division, 5,000 seats. So your stadium is a, is a first division uh, standard stadium, which is,
2: we're, we're we're not quite 16. I don't know. I think you might be looking at the wrong one. We're, we're in about 9,700.
0: Okay. Okay. So, uh, but, but, I'm sure with the the way that things are um, set up there, you have the the opportunity to build towards that if that if that opportunity came. Yes. So with that that setup there, um, you know how has uh, how has the players that how have they uh, responded? You know having. You know, a place to call their own versus you know, you travel to some of the other places they're playing in a baseball stadium. They're playing in a you know uh, this rented facility or that rent like to to be at a club where like no, I've got a I've got a home stadium. This is like you know, do you have you have these conversations with the players like this level of pride of playing for a club that that has its own facility like this uh, and and what has their reactions been?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It gives them, a, just like you talk about the fans need to have a sense of ownership. I think the players do too. And, and it does, it gives them a sense of ownership. This is our home. And the beautiful thing about the stadium too, is the practice fields are right next to it. So they have a the locker room they use, which is in the stadium and they go out to the practice field, which is outside the stadium. And then they'll come train on the game field the day, the day before the game. So first of all, the, the, the game field is kept in pristine condition. So if you you ever seen highlights or, or uh, a stream on ESPN Plus of the game? It's a gorgeous facility, and um, again looks looks brand new. But then to be able to have the, their practice and their training right next to the stadium, um, I think that's great. Some would argue too. There's an argument to be made: train elsewhere, and then you know let them have that feeling of coming to the stadium just on game day. Um, so there's two schools of thought, but I I think the players love the fact, and we have a young roster. Um, it's one of the younger the, one of the younger sides in the USL. So, uh, I think it's great for these guys to uh, to come in and, and have this place to them to, to, that's theirs, and they get a sense of ownership.
0: Uh, for someone unfamiliar with the Rio Grande Valley, about how many people live in that area uh, of South Texas?
2: Yeah, it's a really unique marketplace, right? So it's 1.2 million people that live in the Rio Grande Valley proper but we are right next to the, the Mexican border here. And on the other side of the border, the two main towns, I think they're called Matamoros and Reynosa. Um, there's actually another 1.1 million people in that area. So what I've learned since I got down here, I started researching the business landscape. Uh, Simon Malls, who have malls all over the country. Um, if you don't, you know, most do you put their name on it, but if you, you've you got a big kind of high-end mall in your community, that's, it's usually owned by a Simon or someone like that. Um, and uh, they're, busiest, uh, highest volume mall in the country is right here in McAllen, Texas. Uh, same with Sam's Club. Sam's Club's uh, highest grossing location in the entire country, Sam's Club, owned by Walmart, um, is their highest location. grossing location is right here in the Rio Grande Valley. So it's a unique marketplace where you get the 1.2 million people that are here. You also got 1.1 million people just across the border. A lot of them will come to that mall um, to shop. And then two hours from here south is Monterrey, Mexico. Um, and then north, you've got San Antonio, which is a few hours away, and you got Houston, which is a few hours away. So, it's kind of centrally located in, in the middle of a lot of population. And uh, it's the the economy here has been been really good for the last five ten years that I've done the research for. So, I think there's a ton of opportunity here.
0: Well, um, when when uh, when you look at uh, the the everything going on right now with the coronavirus and you know the the pandemic and you know, what kind of effect has that had on, you know, the season had just begun and then everything just kind of went on lockdown. And now there's all this uncertainty and, 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 you know, you know trying to figure out unknowns, you know, when, how, you know, a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. How, how have you and your team been been coping uh, as you have tried to, you know, keep up with, with updates and then planning for the future?
2: Yeah, it's obviously challenging. And, and, you know, my heart goes out to people affected directly by the virus and no one's immune to this thing. And I've even had family members that have had it. Uh, some of my members in England have had it. Um, but there's also, you know, positive things that have come out of this. My, my uncle was 81 years old and you know, went in the hospital for it. He wasn't in good health and he actually came out and recovered from it. We talked to him on Zoom the other day. So that was really cool. So, um yeah there's definitely the challenge of it there's the reality of it, it's it's affecting obviously business and texas starts to reopen tomorrow uh, as we record this here on on thursday the 30th uh, texas starts to open businesses tomorrow uh, but we're in the business of mass gatherings and it's it's going to be a little while before we we can safely i'm not going to say we're allowed to before you even want to bring a ton of people together um, but i think you know we're learning a lot every day um, about our communities. We're learning a lot about our people. You see the the birthday parades that happen of people driving by. You see the good and humanity coming out. And, and as you know, from a business perspective, I've had challenges in other businesses. We've kind of um, looked at this opportunity. We also brought brought on a guy named Talieh Linnick, who worked with San Antonio FC most recently, Des Moines, Iowa, and getting them ready for their USL Championship team. He came down to work with us, so he's here now too. And Tali and I have been working really hard on. All right, so how do we use this time? Uh, to mature the organization while we're we're battling COVID nineteen, uh, but mature the organization, get it to a place where it's in a, the business is more uh, organized. We've got processes and standard operating procedures in place. Uh, we've got a lot of different departments in these businesses that are overseeing the facilities, the teams. So getting everyone you know on the same sheet of music, getting everyone beating from the same drum. I'm going to analogy this one to death, of course. But, but uh, it's, we're using the time to mature the organization and get ready to come back. And all along, the messaging has got to be there, um, that we're there for the fans. The fans are there for us. This is a two-way relationship. Um, and that's, again, a lot of what I learned from Peter, I think, is it's got to be two-way dialogue with the fans. And we've been super active on social media. And, and uh, I think other people have noticed that there's fans of other teams that have, have acknowledged our marketing team who's doing a phenomenal job. And like I said, like um, it's not like I brought in a bunch of hot shots when I came in here. We, It's, it's the staff that was here um, that I think are now, you know, realizing their talents and doing such a phenomenal job in, in marketing these, these teams. And, and uh, we're going to be ready when we come out of this thing, but when it's time um, and when it's safe and it's in sports, you know, there's an old saying, you don't realize what you have until you lost it. I think people are going to feel that way about sports is that, oh, my gosh, what happened to my live sports? So I truly believe we'll be a highly coveted product when we get back, when it's safe to come back. And hopefully, um, you know, people get their jobs back and and are able to go to life sporting events. And, and um, I'm sure budgets are going to be tight. So we have to be patient um, and be thoughtful and, and in sports every. Every fan is a relationship and, and you don't, you don't get to, you know, like the Mexico, 12,700 fans a game. It's, we did that one fan at a time with blood, sweat and tears. And that's how we're going to try to build this organization here. And it's, it's not a, let's see what we can do to get 20 people to buy a ticket and 80 people to buy. Yeah. It'd be great if that happened. But if we build this thing, one, one relationship at a time, it's, it's going to be an invincible really to anything except for a pandemic.
0: <laughs> well, um, last question for you. Um, how, how nervous, how much are you looking forward to finding out the information on the conclusion of the premier league in Liverpool? Finally, uh, they're my second favorite team in the world. Barcelona is my, my favorite club of all time, but I'm a, I'm a big, big Liverpool fan. Um, so, how how excited slash nervous are you about learning the final plans for the Premier League and Liverpool finally getting to claim the uh, Premier League uh, title?
2: You know, I'll tell you, Daniel, I left England in 1989. We, uh, we got on a plane for Toronto on November 3rd, 1989. And that year was the last year that Liverpool won the league. So it's your so fault. I think. I think it's my fault. And uh, I think Liverpool has missed me being in, in England. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe the the move to Texas this year gave, gave them motivation. To, I don't know. Uh, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's incredible to see the way they played this year. Um, I've gone back and watched, you know, if not the full game highlights of the games. Uh, I don't get a lot of free time these days, but sometimes if I can't sleep late at night, I'll throw on YouTube and start watching some stuff it's it's just there whether or not you're a liverpool fan um you know it's a beautiful team to watch and the football they play is just so much fun uh we started a liverpool supporters group actually at that bar that we met at daniel that star brothers brewing we started a liverpool supporters group there uh five years ago with four guys and then we had our first sorry four guys two ladies and uh now there's you know 400 members every game is watched at that bar Uh and a lot of that is is attributed to the style of play I think that Liverpool has. And people that weren't even soccer fans would come check it out. They'd come get a pint of beer and breakfast burrito uh on a Saturday morning and then watch this game and how it was like church for a lot of people. We all came, we said hello to each other, gave each other hugs and uh and watched the game and watched Liverpool uh play that beautiful style of play. And I think that's the thing that we all miss is coming together for the beautiful game. And we know it's coming back and uh, we just got to do it in a safe uh, and mindful manner. And uh, we'll be back to the days where we can all come together, uh, share a pint and uh, and enjoy football together.
0: Absolutely. I, w- I was asked uh, or, or earlier during the show, uh, someone sent me a DM about uh, would I feel the same way about the league getting finished and, and Liverpool winning the title um, if it was some other team, you know, if it was a rival and I do, I, I, I want to see the seasons finished. I don't, I don't care like what league, what club I would rather, uh, you know, see all of the, the leagues, like the air Divisi has is canceled the rest of their season and said there will be no champion. Uh, they're just vacating the season. I, I would prefer to just Wait it out and and finish this one first, um, yep. you know, because everything's already gone into it. So I, you know, it does it. May it come across that I that I really want to see this season finish because I want Liverpool to win the title. I'm sure it does, and I really do want them to, to finish out and win the title. However, I, I would feel that way no matter what campaign uh, it was and and what league it was. I. I just, I like to see things finished. That you start, and uh, speaking of of that, uh, you you have uh, you're nowhere near your finish, but you you have you have done really good work in New Mexico, and now you've begun really good work uh, there in South Texas. Best of luck, Ron, uh, on that endeavor. We appreciate you coming on, and 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 love to have you back on again soon when we get back to uh, to being on the field uh, and and seeing matches played and communities coming together. So, really appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you, Daniel. I I love listening to your show. Love interacting with you personally and and to all you soccer fans out there, just take care of each other. And uh, we'll, we'll all be together again soon. Just watching the game
0: we love. So absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Ron. Thank you so much all the best. Thank you. Thank you. That is Ron Patel, president of Rio Grande Valley Toros uh, FC there in South Texas. Big thank you to him for coming on the show today. As always, you can watch the show on danielworkman.com forward slash watch. You can find all the links to, to catch it on YouTube, Twitter, etc. Um, thanks to all the the, the, the the watchers, the listeners, the those who send comments and, and ask questions. We appreciate it as always. We'll see you again tomorrow.